You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. And what happened to summer? Goodness gracious. After yesterday, shorts, t-shirts, sunshine, right back to the winter of our discontent that just does not seem to want to go away. I would like to welcome you to Ontario, Stan, where the government can cancel your legal agreement to satisfy a political promise. Alan, Alan, Alan. That is what Doug Ford has done, and we're going to tilt back the beer and wine issue very shortly, and my contention that the beer store issue will be the Ford government's version of gas plants. And I'll say that again. This is going to be gas plants for Doug Ford. Forget about it. I will move on. In a moment, I will come back to that. I'll also tell you that in our second half, our investigative team, in the second half of our program, our investigative team joins us. and They've uncovered frightening information about industrial cities in this province and the rate of cancer in other diseases. It is some frightening information that you need to hear. And then later on in the program, we're going to talk about polls and which polls you trust, and should you trust polls. But first, we are going to talk about casinos. Uh. Casinos. What do you think about having a casino at Ontario Place? I'm going to tell you, probably, you think that that is a dumb idea. And so today... Essentially, what the Ford government has done after a terrible no-good Monday in which they had to backtrack on municipal funding and then also went after the beer store in a weird way that we're going to dig into in a moment. So then today, with no consultation whatsoever with the city, they announce, well, we're going to have a press conference outside of Ontario Place. And the city's like, well, about what? You didn't even talk to us. So what does the, what do they do? Here now is the minister in charge of the file. This is Michael Tobolo, the Minister of Tourism, Culture, and Sport, crowing on about how the provincial government is not going to do something stupid. I want to be clear. Our vision for Ontario Place does not include residential developments or casinos. Thank you. So Ontario has ruled out a casino. I really don't think anybody would have wanted this. I think that what would have happened is there would have been a sustained uh, campaign from the city, probably led by Joe Cressy, and, uh, you know, three weeks from now, the premier would be in front of his door going, well, we're a government that listens. That is a terrible Doug Ford impression. That is not a Doug Ford impression. It's It's an essence, not an impression. It's an essence. So the government, as you heard in that clip, has also ruled out residential uses at Ontario Place. That was previously announced. So there you go. They're still taking submissions. What would you like to see at Ontario Place? But let us talk about the main issue that we're dealing with this segment. Buck a beer, buck a beer, buck a beer. And the announcement that the government is going after the beer store. Let's take you to question period now, and here is NDP leader Andrea Horvath teeing up our next subject matter. The Premier- 
Jr. and his uh, caucus and his cabinet like to call everybody fear mongers. Well, they're nothing but beer mongers, Speaker. That is Andrea Horvath. Zing! I wants me that beer. Well, it's all about beer. And this announcement now that what is going to happen is the government is introducing legislation that essentially cancels a 10-year deal, something known as the Master Framework Agreement that was signed in 2015 by the former Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne and the beer store. And, of course, the beer store operates 450 outlets and handles the vast majority of beer sales in this province. And in that Master Framework Agreement, It says, an arbitrator could award damages based on a range of new costs that the beer store and its brewer owners could face if beer were made available at corner stores. It says right in there that if you break this, you have to pay. And it also says right in that agreement that a change in government and a change in legislation cannot cancel the contract. But legal scholars say federal and provincial legislatures can actually do what the government is doing, which is pass legislation and just completely cancel a contract. But it has a cost, specifically a chill over companies who are seeking to do business in this province. Remember, Doug Ford says that this province is open for business, but if you are a company coming here and wanting to invest and do a deal with the provincial government... Are you willing now to sign something and say, yeah, well, this is the deal. Okay, it's a, you know, nine-year deal, 10-year, 12-year deal. I mean, because what happens in 2020 when there's an election and can it be just overwritten? So this is why I talk about this being the gas plants for the Ford government. Now, the beer store has essentially said, we will see you in court. And today, releasing another report that basically cancels out the Ford government report from Friday that said, well, the beer store sweetheart deal, blah, 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 blah. Now here's the beer store response saying, well, your analysis is incorrect. And here is the statement from the beer store yesterday in response to this bomb drop by the Minister of Finance. We have sent a legal letter to the government and we will fight this legislation vigorously through The courts. The courts, ladies and gentlemen. You don't think that comes with a cost? This is going to cost taxpayers. This is going to cost you and me. And you need to ask yourself, what price am I willing to pay to be able to go to the Max Milk or the Rabba or whatever it is and get a six-pack? Are you, I mean, I am not here to defend the beer store. I think, though, there is a defense to be made about legally binding contracts signed by the government of Ontario. And that is why I say this is going to be the gas plants that dog this government. Here is the response from the minister in charge of this file. Here is Vic Fideli in the House today talking about how it is they're going to get out of this thing. You have to wonder why these multinationals supported by the NDP would be so 
opposed to selling their products in more convenience stores, more grocery stores and big box stores. It's because the sweetheart deals with the Liberals is so lucrative that they are choosing to ignore the economic opportunities before us, the 9,000 new jobs that create, it can be created, the $3.5 billion that will be added to our GDP. Thank you. GDP be the end of that answer there before his microphone was cut off by the Speaker. That's what happens in the House. That is the Finance Minister Vic Fideli essentially saying, oh, hey, the NDP is in bed with these giant corporations who, you know, he sort of hints at, oh, they got this sweetheart deal. They, they don't want to sell beer and wine in corner stores because somehow they're fleecing you, the public. And that is something that an arbitrator and a court will decide. And I will remind you what happened when the McGinty government made a political promise to cancel gas plants in Oakville and Mississauga, and then won an election. And they went ahead and did it. And they canceled those gas plants that were already under construction, at least the one in Mississauga was, and it ended up costing us a billion dollars. A billion dollars to move those gas plants. And if you don't think that there is a financial cost associated with what Doug Ford is about to do and has done with the beer store, then you are dreaming. Doug Ford, this is the reality. It is going to cost a whole lot more than a dollar. Buck a beer, buck a beer, buck a beer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my beer rant. It's a bit frothy. It might make you burp a little bit. I wouldn't jump up and down right now. I wouldn't do that. But right, I'm looking now at uh, Twitter, and I'm just seeing now from the finance minister who is speaking outside of the House right now during scrums that he expects to have the legislation to allow beer and wine to be sold in corner stores to be passed by next Thursday when the House rises. Cheers to that, ladies and gentlemen. Time to talk a little bit of Raptors, 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 Raptors. Game one of the finals goes this Thursday. We are waiting on the uh, Raptors to take uh, the stage at uh, Ovio right now. We're watching that. They were supposed to begin a media availability about 35 minutes ago. But when you are in the NBA, you do what you like. When you are in the finals, you come to the table when you want to come to the table, and (laughs) that is precisely the truth of it. And if you've heard this program before, we've talked a little bit about the difference between political reporting and sports reporting, and I'll tell you what, if the Premier was this late for a planned news conference, there would would be nine or ten reporters just tweeting like mad about how outrageous this was and what you know how could this how could this guy possibly run a government he's late <laughs> when it's when it's uh nba players like hey take your time whatever you like sure. <laughs> so we are going to take you there uh, if anybody actually does sit down and start talking especially my doppelganger nick nurse I don't know if you know this, uh, but uh, I have been accused a number of times of looking uh, much like Nick Nurse. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, and recently, while covering the conference finals, I actually said to Coach Nick Nurse, I said directly to him, I said, uh, you know, I don't see it, but my family all tells me I look like you. And he just looked me square in the eye, shook my hand, and walked away without saying a word. And that's that. I want to read to you a little bit of uh, Scott Stinson's work in the National Post. And Scott and I have actually talked on this radio program about the difference between uh, political reporting and also, um, you know, sports reporting. You know, for example, in, in political reporting, you can say to somebody, I look like you, and, you know, they might say something back to you, but in sports, I guess not. But uh, Scott has written this great piece in the National Post for the bandwagoners out there, and I want to talk to you. If you are not a huge NBA fan, and you know, so many people are not, uh, here is a, a bit of a guide with help from Scott Simpson on what to look out for in all of this. For example, let's let's begin with Golden State Warriors, and Scott Stinson asks the question, what kind of dumb name is Golden State anyway? Well, that's a fair point, he writes. Uh, the Warriors began life in the late 1940s in Philadelphia. They moved to San Francisco in 1962. They were the San Francisco Warriors for nine years, then moved around the Bay to Oakland. But because they didn't want the San Francisco people to completely abandon them, they didn't just call themselves the Oakland Warriors, thus Golden State, which has been a California motto at times. Of course, the idea that they represent the whole state makes no sense since there are three other NBA teams in California. Uh, And you may know this, that this is the last year for Oracle Arena. This is the last year for the arena in Oakland. The team will move to a new arena in San Francisco next season. There is some thought they just may change it back and that after next year, they just may be the San Francisco Warriors again. So that is a possibility. Now, obviously, the Warriors are good. They have won the last two championships. They've won three out of four. So what makes them so good? Scott Stinson writing in the National Post. Well, they've revolutionized basketball. When point guard Stephen Curry hit 286 three-pointers, In that first title season that the Warriors had, it was a new record. Only two players had hit as many as 260 in the previous 20 years. Then, the following season, he hit 402. That is 402 three-pointers for Steph Curry. And his backcourt mate, Clay Thompson, hit 276. And it has revolutionized the way basketball is played. Now the three-ball, everybody's bombing from three. Curry and Thompson are arguably the two greatest long-range shooters of all time, just because they do it so much. And compare it to Larry Bird. He was NBA MVP in 1986. You know how many times he hit a three? 82. That gives you a sense of how different this game is. Now, that is certainly part of it. Curry and Thompson are deadly. They're known as the Splash Brothers. But we haven't even talked about Kevin Durant yet. Kevin Durant is six foot ten, and he has the skills of a shooting guard. He's a former MVP, two-time Finals MVP, and he was leading the playoffs in points per game ahead of Kawhi Leonard when he was hurt in Game 5 of the second round. Now, he is out because he's got some kind of calf thing, they say. So he's not going to play Game 1, but he may come back. So you think to yourself, well, so that's okay, the... The Warriors have struggled without him, 
right? No. They have won five straight. Six, if you include the game he was hurt. So, wow. That's a lot of firepower. This does not bode well for the Raptors. Scott Stinson summing up this in the National Post by saying, it does not. It does not bode well. But look, the Milwaukee Bucks won more games than the Warriors this season, and they had only lost two straight once, never three in a row. The Raptors beat them four straight. So you're saying there's a chance? That's what I'm saying. And that's what the entire city is saying. This is not going to be easy. This is not a cakewalk. But we have not finished yet. We need to win. And we can win. Now, when I covered the Raptors in the conference finals back in Cleveland in 2016, I traveled to Cleveland to cover the uh, the Raps in the conference finals then. One of the things that was just, it still makes me laugh. I was in Quicken Loans Arena, I think just ahead of game two. And there were a couple of stadium workers, uh, obviously people who worked in the stadium, and they were in the service elevator with us, a couple of media people. And I overheard one of them talking to the other about how a Canadian prince had just landed at the airport and brought an entire entourage with him. And of course, (laughs) what what are you talking about, a Canadian prince? And then, of course, you realize... They were talking about Nav Badia, super fan. Now, if you watch the Raptors, you know Nav. He's the guy courtside, in his turban, in his Raptors jersey, waving his towel, jumping up and down. He's been to every single home game since the Raptors debuted in 95. He is just simply an ambassador. He is more than just a fan. He's an ambassador for the team, known as super fan. He's a Toronto treasure. And... In the last round, I don't know if you heard this or saw this, Batia was mocked online by a Bucks fan who posted to Twitter a picture of himself wearing underwear on his head, making fun of Nav Batia's turban. What did Mr. Batia do? Here is his conversation as he answers Farah Nasser, my co-anchor on Global News, Farah Nasser's question to Nav Batia, what was your response to that tweet. I believe that I, I always, you know, I'm, when I came here over 30 years ago in this country, I faced those insults like that. But I don't fight insults back with insults. I always want to change the opinion of the person in a positive way and have them on your side for a long term. And I think that's what I did with him. I, 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 he called me two days later. Uh, I think he put the tweet after the fourth game when they lost here in Toronto. So he was, I think, disgusted with the laws. He was angry with the laws. And you know, this social media something sometimes can be good, but sometimes can be a killer. So I guess he put it there. And then uh, the next day, and uh, the next game, which was there, the fifth game, uh, I think he saw me uh, with a lot of uh, Milwaukee fans in their, in their gears, hugging me and uh, taking picture with me. And I guess he Googled me. And I guess that changed his uh, opinion and mine, and I believe he realized 
what he has done wrong and he i think he was a he did the right thing by calling and approaching us and calling me and having a chat with me and apologizing to me and he said give me forgive me i i did very something very stupid and wrong i'm so stupid and this and that and i said well don't curse yourself now you have done the mistake we are all human being we make mistake and you are apologizing it and i'm accepting it and when next time i come you know we i'm going to take you out for a dinner and i'm going to take your son for a basketball game and i'll send him some basketball gears because he has a son who is 10 years old and he talked to me about his son very fondly so i told him i said you don't want your son to grow in that kind of an hatred environment and he said yes i don't i love my son and all that so which is good so you know we changed that negative thing into a very positive thing and he asked me how did we do that i said look now you are my friend previously you had hatred hatred for me you had you were hating me and now you are talking to me and we are communicating with each other so i believe we turned that situation very positively and i have forgiven him and forgot about it that is nav badia in conversation with global news co-anchor Farah Nasser last night, Farah Nasser asking him, how did you react to that racist attack and tweet? And his response there, I think we all aspire to that. I think we all aspire to that kind of level-headedness. Nav Batia for Prime Minister. You're a winner, my team captain, a governor, you're the boss. You leave the others standing, you're my prophet, it's their loss. When they make the final count, 4-3-2, we could be number one, I want to win with you. Coming right up, a story about a man who is discovered with a large quantity of live leeches in his carry-on luggage. Live leeches, ladies and gentlemen. More on that in just a moment. But first, we begin with a new peer-reviewed study that has found strikingly high rates of acute myeloid leukemia in Canadian border towns, including Sarnia, a city whose manufacturing sector is referred to as Canada's Chemical Valley. Now, this study reviewed over 18,000 cases of what's known as AML, that is that leukemia I spoke of, between the years of 1992 and 2010, and it found hot spots for this type of leukemia in several Canadian cities, including Hamilton, Thunder Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, Sarnia, and St. Catharines. But Sarnia was at the top of the list. The authors found this area had the highest incidence in the country, while other significant hotspots were also in industrial regions of Ontario. Here is Dr. Elaine McDonald, Program Director from Healthy Communities with EcoJustice. It's not just risk we're seeing, it is actually showing that there's, there is disease in the community at an elevated level, a cluster of leukemia. And drawing a line back to benzene exposure seems to be pretty straightforward. It's hard not to say that this is, this is validating our concerns that we've developed over the many years of studying the issues done in Sarnia. Megan Robinson is a Global News investigative journalist and is part of this investigation. Megan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Alan. This is frightening stuff. Tell me more about what it means when they talk about cluster. 
Yeah, so this is really um, a very rare incidence where we can use the term cancer cluster. And so the way that they were able to find these clusters was that this study did something that no study has done before, and that when they mapped out those 18,000 cases of leukemia, they actually drilled all the way down to the postal code level. So instead of just looking at cities or counties or provinces, they really tried to put a fine point on where these clusters of cancer are. And so when they did that, as you mentioned, those five, you know, industrial cities, manufacturing, petrochemical industry, um, they were able to pinpoint that north side of Sarnia, which is called the village of Point Edward. And it had a rate three times the national average. So while all those other, other cities in Ontario do have quite high rates of AML, uh, it was the worst. And so well, there's no definitive answer as to what's causing this. I'll give you some perspective on Sarnia. From the downtown core, in a 25-kilometer radius, there are 57 plants that, on both sides of the border that are able to emit pollutants into the air. Megan, do we have a direct link between benzene exposure and leukemia? Certainly, uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer says there is sufficient evidence that benzene does, in fact, cause AML. And so, uh, for those that don't know, benzene is one of the cancer-causing toxins that's released by petrochemical plants. Uh, But it's also from car fumes and cigarette smoke. So there's no way to specifically pinpoint that it is coming from these plants. Now, when it is making people sick. There are regulations. Um, Ontario actually has the most stringent levels of benzene standards. So what that means is that those plants can only emit a specific amount of benzene that's measured on an annual basis. Now, we crunched some numbers uh, from some StatsCan data, data that we received. And in 2017, a part of Sarnia called the Amjuang First Nation was three times that regulated limit. But There are companies in that area that don't have to meet those stringent levels. And so instead, they get something called a technical standard. And under that, they are not breaking the law if they don't meet the required benzene standard and instead are asked to make technical modifications and reduce things like leaks and make repairs. We're talking with Megan Robinson, who's a Global News investigative journalist, looking at this new report that Global has reported on and uncovered, saying that there are clusters of leukemia, especially in Sarnia. Megan, what's the response been to our investigation? Certainly, anecdotally, Alan, a lot of people in these cities have known this for a long time. You know, they know somebody who's gotten sick or are themselves sick. And even today, I've had people reach out to me, letting me know of their story or their family's story. And so people knew this. And for some, I'm getting the sense that it is quite validating to have data. But this is really just the beginning. And so when we reached out to the provincial government, Rod Phillips, our Ontario um, Environment Minister, you know, he wanted to remind us that because of our work in 2017, Global News, uh, the toxic secret investigation that Carolyn Jarvis did, that the provincial government is putting $2 million towards a health study in Chemical Valley to really make an assessment on whether or not the air is making people sick. But for the researchers themselves, this is very good data to start. It's good for hypothesis. But certainly there's a lot of work to be done. It's just the beginning because now they need to figure out who these leukemia patients are, where they work, where they live, maybe 
they can pinpoint exactly what they were consuming because there's really no way to put a fine point on what is exactly causing AML, but certainly this gives some perspective on um, what could be potential links for it. Megan, tell people where they can read more and see more on this story. Yeah, globalnews.ca, we've got a full piece, and we did this in collaboration with the National Observer. So we've written collectively about this, um, and of course, this is something that we as a network have been working on for a very long time. And so we will be following up, and if there's any more information, certainly it will be on our website, globalnews.ca. Thank you, Megan. That is Megan Robinson, Global News investigative journalist. I want to quickly take you to OVO Athletic Center, where... We have Fred Van Fleet now speaking. Let's uh, listen in to Freddie. It's nice to get a couple of days, and obviously the um, conference finals is every other day. And so uh, you know, it's nice to get a couple of days in between to kind of decompress a little bit, try to rest any you know ailments you have and uh, re- recharge and refocus and, and um, you know try to get ready for Thursday. So uh, obviously we were on a pretty big high after closing the series out. Um, but now we've got to shift our focus towards uh, Golden State. That is Fred Van Fleet, who is speaking right now at the Raptors Training Center in a media availability. A couple of other players will be speaking shortly, and then the coach, who doesn't look anything like me. I don't care what you say. All right, he does look a little. I I look a little like him. We, we, we do look a little alike. I promised very quickly a story about leeches, an Ontario man who tried to smuggle a bag full of medicinal leeches into Canada has been fined $15,000. The man arrived at Toronto Pearson from Russia with a quote-unquote large quantity of live leeches in his carry-on luggage. And here's my favorite part of this. We had to bring in an expert from the Royal Ontario Museum to identify the species of leech and and say, no, that is prohibited in this country. I'm sorry, sir. Those live leeches, that particular variety is not allowed in this country. Hell no. Three three eight Canada is a project that looks at statistical models of electoral projections and looks at polls. And the website has been created by Philippe J. Fournier, who joins me now on the phone. Philippe, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for reaching out to me. A grand total of 142 federal polls were published since January 1st, 2017. What did you find out when you looked at that polling information? Well, it's very interesting uh, that uh, this polling information for the for the layperson, for the person that does not follow uh, polls on a regular basis, it may look like a lot of data. But uh, when we scale it back, you realize that's only five or six polls per month, or about maybe one or two, two uh, one or two polls per week. And so it is not that much. And what I realized in my research is that most of those polling firms basically say the same thing. Their numbers are, are not always the same of course, because it's statistical data and there's noise and there's fluctuations in the numbers. But most of the polling firms, you know, tell the same story, basically. But when it comes to actual voting day, and, you know, the politicians love to say there's only one poll that counts, how accurate (laughs) are they? 
Well, in 2015, that's a very good question. And people, of course, will, we will want to know which polling firm has the best record. And in 2015, you had uh, six pollsters that were within what I call the three-point radius. So uh, you look at the number uh, that they had there on their last polls for the conservatives and for the liberals. And within that three-point radius, there were six polling firms, including Main Street, Ipsos, Leger, uh, Innovative, Nanos, and Forum Research. So they all had different numbers, but they were all together hovering around the same, uh, the same final uh, conclusion, which is that uh, Justin Trudeau was going to win a majority government. So you, you consider a three-point swing to be like a horseshoe, sort of like just leaning in there on the post? That's what I would say. I mean, of course, every polling firm and every polling firm president that I've talked to say that their numbers are the best and the others don't know what they're doing. Sure. I mean, <laughs> isn't that the truth? I tell you, you, you really, you, you go out there and contradict a pollster at your own peril. Because, man, they will, I tell, you, I tell you, the Ipsos folks, they will call you and they will just hound you with statistical information. And sometimes, uh, well, that, that's the reason that uh, I think uh, my website became more popular, because it takes all the polling data. It does not just take one or two sources. I take all the polling data from professional firms with scientific polls, and I average them out to have a, a clearer picture for the layperson, for the, for the, the average citizen that looks at all these polls and all these numbers, which can seem confusing. And with all this information, it's easier than to break it down into regions and to subregions and have a better idea of what's going on in your own writing. I want to talk about the federal polls uh, in advance of the election later on this year in a moment. But before we get to that, I want to talk about what happened in Ontario uh, last year, about a year ago. And, And at this point in the election a year ago, we had forum research, and you, and you write about this, we had forum research beginning by saying that the progressive conservatives being led by Doug Ford were ahead by seven points, and then late in May a year ago, forum suddenly switched in 14-point lead for the NDP, which led to a kind of, oh my God, the socialist hordes are coming reaction, <laughs> and then it swung back six days later. So how do you account for that? Well, uh, it's a fair question, and of course, uh, you would have to ask your forum for uh, their comment on this, because, of course, as you said, they will hound you and they will defend the numbers. But for me, it is not normal to have those those really important swings uh, from the same polling firm with only a few days in between. Uh, that, and that, again, that's why I will always trust the polling average more than I will trust a single poller. Are you uh, concerned, poster. though, but, but uh, what impact that might have had on voter intention, that big swing? Well, I'm not too sure, because, again, if uh, if um, a voter only looked at Forum, he would have believed that those swings were real, but other polling firms did not detect those, those big swings. So what I would say to those people is, again, you have to remember that uh, Polling firms have different samples, different techniques, uh, and of course that they are aiming a moving target. So from one day to the other, the voting intentions will change, but they will not change. They will not swing 25 points in only three or four days. That's that's just impossible. And you you mentioned the article that was in McLean's that I published uh, about 10 days ago. It shows that, yes, indeed, forum research has the, the greatest swings from one poll to the other. Uh, so... I would be very careful not to give too much importance to a single poll from any firm, but from uh, Forum especially, uh, they, they have this tendency of having big swings. 
Quickly, before we uh, get run out of time, what are you seeing in polling on the federal level? We continue to see that the Conservatives outpoll the Liberals. Is that inflated? Uh, no, it's not inflated. However, maybe what is inflated is the, uh, the, 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 perce- the perception out there that the Conservatives have it in the bag for the fall. When we take the polling average, we see that the Conservatives have a four to five point lead over the Liberals, which is not comfortable at all, especially when you consider that uh, in, in when you poll the leader uh, favorability numbers, Mr. Scheer usually polls below his own party. And so, uh, no, I don't want to be too hard on him, but it looks like he's pulling his own party down. So uh, we'll have to see whether he can uh, carry this momentum all the way to the fall. But I would not underestimate the Liberals. They still have this machine. They have the incumbency. And uh, they have a strong base at at least 30 percent across the country, which will be really hard to beat. Philippe Géphonier is the creator of 338 Canada. Tell me the website name. 338canada.com, and uh, I, I write now weekly in McLean's. So, yeah. Tremendous. Thank you for your contribution. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. You know, what's interesting when you look at that is not only the polling numbers for the progressive conservatives and the liberals do you have to watch. you got to keep your eye on the NDP because if Jagmeet Singh does not get himself up off the floor, we're cruising to another liberal majority folks there's just no two ways about it unless you got a strong ndp all of that progressive vote is going liberal and that's what's going to happen we're running out of time time for me to get out of here and get on up to don mills sweet don mills designed neighborhood where i go into this studio in the basement and i sit in a green room and i talk to a box really folks being a TV news anchor is all glamour all the time. Join me, won't you? On television, 5.30. We'll see you again tomorrow. That wants me that beer.